0: Check out our friends at Linquistity Gifts. Linquistity Gifts is a metaphysical store offering natural gemstone bead bracelets, signature and zodiac, designed and made in the United States, as well as raw and polished stones, crystal balls, pendulums, tarot cards, natural crystal points, wands, and so much more. Their beautiful signature design bracelets can aid with creativity, balance, focus, and well-being. Visit their website using the link in the description or visit linkwistitygifts.com and use coupon code FKN to get 10% off your first order over $20. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, my guest is once again Jared Murphy – Before I bring them on, I have to thank C60 Purple Power, the amazing super antioxidant that acts as a free radical sponge, eliminating toxins in the body. It has me feeling better than I've felt in years. I really feel great and you should too. Go check out their website to learn more. Uh, Just click in the link in the description or visit c60purplepower.com and use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10 if that link doesn't work for some reason. You're going to get 10% off your order plus free shipping. Also, please subscribe to our official backup channel at LBRY.com. Uh, We're always still on all your popular podcast platforms, and we also have a brand new show called Beyond Classified. It is exclusively on Rockfin, which is an amazing new platform for independent media and content creators. Uh, It's not censored like YouTube. All those links for those shows are in the description, so please go ahead and check those out. We've got some amazing content going out on there. And tonight I want to welcome back to the show Jared Murphy. He is a self-experimenter, field researcher of ancient technologies and lost history, and has traveled the world searching for evidence of advanced ancestors and high technology. He is author of the book, It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us. Jared, welcome back, and how are you doing tonight?
1: Great. Thanks for having me back on.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Every time you come on, you prevented such provocative information. It really changes the way that I look at our ancient past, and it gives a whole new perspective to the UFO phenomenon as well. Um, I thought tonight, you know, we've, we've covered a, a good bit of ground so far, but there's so much, so many directions we could go. I thought we could start a little bit with human origins. Uh, we, of course, have the evidence that Advanced civilizations are going back much further than our mainstream history would have us believe. Um, I'd like to know for you, what would be the furthest back so far that we've traced some kind of really advanced tools or evidence of technology?
1: So the no-brainer on this, and there's one thing, actually, thank God, for once, despite all the out-of-place, out-of-time artifacts and all the crazy weird math and maps and uh, weird things that we found around the world. Um, it is, without doubt, the Klerkstorp spheres in South Africa. Uh, they were found mining. Um, they were, unfortunately, the actual, I, I have them photographed on my website in my members area, but I was in South Africa and got to see them in the Stone Circle Museum in Waterfall, Boven. I got to actually be right up there on them, at least ones that were there. These uh, Klerkstorf spheres look exactly like what you would describe as ancient uh, croquet balls. And some are very small. Some are slightly bigger. But here's the key thing. They have distinct lineal parallel uh, lines on them. So they very much look like an old game ball. Like sometime people were, and I'll give you the age range on this, but the Klerkstorff spheres were found because as they were cutting out this kind of like a sandstone as far as people need to know. And the blades were getting messed up on these very hard little round balls. And they've found an uncountable number of them. And basically it looks like a field of a driving range for golf. And one of those golf cart things went around and picked up all the golf balls and maybe stuck them in a particular area. Then somebody forgot all about it. And, or left them all in the field, and then it was abandoned and covered in mud, and eventually you know, they, they were found again. Uh, there were shows about this that even date into the late 80s and early 90s, where there were petitions to try to not let NBC, I, I think, by the way, I think it was NBC, premiered a show about the Klerkstorp spheres back in the late 80s, but this was so controversial to mainstream science. They actually signed petitions to try to get NBC not to air a special about this. And forbidden archaeology, Michael Cremo actually talks about that in his book. And what's crazy about these things, they're two and a half to three and a half billion years old. And what they get described as because they have a five, some of them they have different centers, uh fibrous, and the deal is natural concretions which are balls and or they're not really even ball shaped. some are shaped like 1940s uh christmas ornaments with the glass ones that kind of have a ring and a ring and a ring they look like they've been smashed down like different size oreo cookies with stuffing and but clear right made out of glass so concretions which i have in my book you know it's not aliens worse it's us that has examples of natural concretions. And when you look at them, they look they look perfectly like somebody made them, but they're natural. The Klerkstorff spheres would have required Mother Nature to pump out uh, multiple ringed objects in a very manufactured way. I They're identical. It, 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 there's no going around it. They're real. And so the problem is, uh, it's hard enough for what we're going to talk about just in the next, you know, just for this, for this little, you know, for what we're doing now, but to discuss how much history has gone through the earth in the last two and a half or three and a half, how about just a billion years? We're, we're talking about, these are for sure in a geological layer of the earth that puts them at a minimum two and a half to three and a half billion years old. So we're at the, we're at over the halfway mark almost to the existence of this entire planet. And, what do we do with that did did somebody you know flap down you know flap down on a platform and on a cooling lava field of or stone field decided to like kick out a bunch of balls or they were playing croquet and they left them all and uh there are even youtube videos and i specifically say that only because that's where i saw it uh i saw uh, an eastern european dude actually smelt down one of the Clarkstorp spheres, like reactivate the ingredients, melt it down. I, I guess I should get you a link for that. You could throw it up there for people. I think it's fascinating watching them like blow one of these things, you know, melt it back down to its component and, and reconstitute it. Super interesting. But, uh, yeah, I think it's super exciting and also incredibly disturbing to sit here and tell you, yeah, the oldest object, the oldest one we found is that And then not one or two, but there is an uncountable number of them and they're still coming out of the ground. And so unless we find a natural lava flow rock formation, something that can make perfect, you know, it's not just that they're, it's not that they're perfectly round. They are for the most part, and they've been possibly compressed over time under pressures of the rock that they were in the sediment that they were hardened in, but it's the concentric lines. There's just nothing in nature that creates those lines. And as pragmatic and as dogmatic and as robotic as you want to be, it's very uncomfortable to have to look at these lines and go, Mother Nature wrote these concentric three lines on these Klerksdorf spheres over and over and over and pumped out ball after ball after ball in the identical way is just improbable. So that aside and not dwelling on it it's like well was it a game was it were these balls left over from an you know cuz you know they they could be anything they could be they could be ancient cd rom drives they could be ancient we we think of our technology as very external but we are now familiar with hard drives we are very familiar now with I want to get that out there because a lot of times when I describe this object or anybody does, they're like, okay, it could be a game ball, but we don't even think that it always becomes a ritual object. It always becomes something sacred. It really legit could just be a ball for a game, or it could be a hard, um, higher technology storage system. And this is what's left of the library that they were or vault that they were stored in. But then the next oldest thing, that is really odd is really every polygonal structure around the earth, because there is new data, not only on the Sphinx, but also on the pyramids themselves that they have been maintained and or abandoned over a much longer period. Like the arguments up about the great pyramid. And of course, a number of the objects and everything all over Egypt, not being dynastically built. Well, what does that mean? It means that as early back as 6,000 years you kind of say it's like proto Egyptian, or it's pre—you know—it's a society that turns into the Egyptian people, because those people are definitely a completely genetically, completely different. But they come into this area just like in Mesoamerica, in the Mayans, the Oltec, the Olmecs, the Toltecs—the people capable for the Mayans—and and then in the Aztec area, that these giant uh, cymatic polygonal constructions all over the earth. They seem to date pre 6,000 years. They seem to date. Uh, some people like to say that they're post Younger Dryas, post flood, post 10 to 13,000 years. The number that gets thrown around a lot as well 11, 6, 10, 5 to 13,000 is when we think that there was this massive, what we call the biblical flood, and, and floods all over or simultaneous. But prior to that, you look at this massive society. It appears that these ruins have been here, I think comfortably, easily, to at least 50,000 years. Uh, I don't mean in the state that we're staring at them. I mean in the locations occupied, the polygonal masonry, it was repaired and maintained. And eventually, post-Younger Dryas, I think a lot of these societies were adapted by – we could go way down the rabbit hole as to why that is, how they've been maintained and repaired – Um, The confusion on geopolymers, uh, people like, oh, well, the pyramid was built with geopolymers, but Dr. Joseph David Ovitz, the father of geopolymers, he wrote a whole book on it. There's been Yale and Egyptologists that have tested. They're like, it appears that there's uh, geopolymers, but not all of them. Well, that's because if you're a society that lives tens of thousands or millions of years, you would use geopolymer patching if you live through multiple disasters, if something was to hit or impact a power plant, as Christopher Dunn would describe for the Great Pyramid, you would repair it with a geopolymer. You're not going to drag up an extra block, even if you have the ability to lift 3,000-ton stones with like zero issue and shape them any way you want. You'd be a society that's, again, we've talked about engineered soil. You would easily have a damaged section of the pyramid. You would repair it. And then people now are scratching their heads going, well, It looks like they used a geopolymer, but they didn't use it everywhere. They just used it in this one spot. Well, yeah, because they maintain their buildings. They still have earthquakes that they can't counter a polygonal construction to. But there are Russian nanostructures. And I I bring this up in the book. I show pictures of that. There was a a scientist, unfortunately, he died in the uh, mid-late 90s. And they were out looking for gold. And they found little tiny nano machined gold parts some of them uh they were able to sift them out and they found a significant portion and the Russians were able to date not the gold itself but the layers and sediments and everything and this this puts these objects at least 22,000 years old and this ties in the reason I'm throwing out that 50,000 year number is that city that's off the coast of Cuba that was found by those uh treasure hunters uh, that the Cuban government authorized about 15 years ago now there is a city off of Cuba that could have only been above ground at least 50,000 years ago based on plate plates shifting and the way we understand uh, plate tectonics and the way things have moved. And it's not like they built it to just then go underwater 50,000 years ago. It would be pre-50,000 years ago. And This is a pyramid polygonal construction and then we have the evidences at the sphinx and we have the evidences in Mesoamerica of large megalithic constructions and in Siberia which are just kind of making the western light now where we have massive polygonal blocks that show weathering that shows even Stonehenge shows weathering on individual blocks or if you look at any of the st- pick a standing stone pick a dolmen really if you want to let's let's not even go fancy with all the polygonal stuff i just said you could delete it all and go with Standing stones like at Karnak, uh, uh, Scabre, uh, anywhere, pick anywhere, and what's left of Doggerland is above water, which is everywhere from Scotland and Ireland to England and all the way to France. That whole thing was one area, but what we need to find is underwater. So for now, standing stones start out as giant, you know, megalithic cut constructions that. Are now just these random states of weathering. And when you look at the areas of standing stones that are all over the earth where they're not weathered, they're square, they're cut, they're polished, they're very fine done megalithic blocks that have been dragged from probably wherever they were originally, that's the thing. We keep adapting and readapting what we find, which is exciting. So a lot of people listening might have concepts about, well, I know a lot about the Druids, and I know a lot about uh, France during the Vikings, and I know a lot about how modern Europe came to be. I know a lot about the Romans and the Greeks. And what happens is, is that all of them, all those peoples came across some of these things. They all were interested. They did do archaeological work or, or or a bone could end up in a temple and become, this is the leg of a Titan and worship it and whatever, but, uh, you know, relics. But the idea that these standing stones, I mean, some of them are 20, 30, 40 feet tall. These are megalithic blocks that have been dragged to just stand up in rows, probably repurposed. They're not in their original location, but they, they're so weathered. It's not like they went and found, they didn't start out with a crappy. I, I think that these standing stones that are all over the earth that indicate the antiquity of advanced humans is that these are finely polished, well-hewned, hardest stones, quartzites, granites, basalts on earth, and these standing stones and dolmens, which I'll talk about in a second. That so first we have the Klerkstorp spears, then we have the dolmens. And standing stones and why they're important is because they are polygonal just like gobekli tepe these are large megalithic uh stones that it's not just their size it's the complexity of which they've been carved and then always around them currently like at gobekli tepe there's a bunch of rubble and ruins so right away you can see that whoever built these pole you know these pillars did not build these little rocky walls that are next to them. And the same thing with these dolmens and what those are, they come in many, many different forms. And a lot of times it's two giant, 200, 300, 600, 800 ton, or more megalithic um, walls that will be eight foot by 15 foot or 20 by 20 or 10 by 10. And they form a little hut. And some of them, even have openings like circles, almost like they're echo chambers. Like a lot of speculation has been, you know, they because they're found in America, they're found in Europe, they're found everywhere. And, and they're told, and, and the, and the thing is, Oh, these were uh, root cellars for mushroom growing. That's a common one that comes up uh, in the Eastern United States. And then there's dolmens in Montana. Those are fun. People should look those up, the dolmens in Montana, but these are structures now we're still talking about if we have a city off. So we have Clarkstone Spears at three and a half to two and a half billion years old. We have this city off of Cuba that's at least fifty thousand years old, and it was well established. So you got to give it at least a ten thousand year window, right? So let's put that back to sixty thousand years. But then, what's between two and a half to three and a half billion and sixty thousand years? Interesting thing about these dolmens is the amount of time irrelevant to storms, winds, salt water, and otherwise, and whether it's Carnac, France or Ireland Scotland or the United States these dolmens show signs of weathering like the sphinx, sphinx enclosure which according to John Anthony West before he died when he invited Robert out to look at that which in the last 30 years has become standard science that yes the sphinx has weathered John Anthony West's comment was it this could have weathered he goes and there's a video of him saying this he goes And, 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 and yes, Jonathan West has quite a lot of character to him, but he is quoted as saying, look, Jonathan, he goes, Robert Schock Wouldn't wouldn't say this again, but he said this weathering could be two, three, 400,000 years old. So let's just say he was exaggerating, right? What do we do with dolmens like at Stonehenge, the classic one that everybody talks about, because there's so many others. That's what I think is important. So much focus is put on that, that they don't really look at the weathering at the site itself, so much as dreamed of, of the Druids and of King Arthur and of what's happened there in the last couple thousand years, it's forgotten that these are lentil built. And again, some of it, it can be chalked up to a mimic culture. Uh, People who have come in, dynastic peoples, that have come in and adapted to the site. And maybe they repaired it. Maybe they did go find the quarry that they think these stones came from when they were in better shape, better condition, and they repaired them. They added on what, what we 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 don't know that part, but what we do know is there's weathering on site. And although we can't date weathering to a point, the kind of weathering on these stones to me looks easily like over a hundred thousand years, easily. And the dolmens don't make sense, but the one tie-in saving grace that we have. Let's just say we only have Klerksdorf spheres that are not natural concretions at up to three and a half billion years old. And let's just say we for sure not only have the city off of Cuba, but we have cities off of India. We have stuff under Jakarta. We have the Bimini Road, which is not a natural formation, but only so much time for, yes, there's there's Japan. But let's just look at what we do know Then we have something we already talked about, terra preta, engineered soil. Yes, there's been carbon dating to put it over seven or eight thousand years old. And yes, there's a range of failure in all carbon types of carbon dating, OSL. You 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 name the kind of dating, there's issues with it, and then how we date geology in reference to what we find in the geology, and then how do we date those bones? It's based on the geology, and then you know, there's a lot of circular conversations on that, but tying it all in, we have an engineered soil. Which is in Brazil, in North Africa, and in and in and in South Africa or Australia. I was gonna say South Africa. It seems to come up a lot today. But what what's going on is that's the identical soil in three continents that aren't supposed to have contact in in this time frame, and it's over large spanses of land. The current estimate in Brazil is twice the size of Spain or twice the size of the United Kingdom. That's their estimate. They're, they're not even, it's not like somebody's out there right now, like LIDARing, uh, like what they're doing in Guatemala. It's not like somebody's out there plugging holes every square kilometer going, yep, more terra preta. We took that in for testing. And to what depth, you know, because in some places it's over 20 feet or 15 feet. And so we also know that there's engineered soils in all of uh, Europe. Uh, Ukraine has a black market for theirs and uh the in north america it's called chernosums. and it's it's not that there's not natural uh compost or anything else but for the sake of this conversation on aging and i think it's exciting for people because yes it should open your eyes because everyone listening lives near a weird state park or a, a a a federal reserve that either has dolmens uh whether they have the soil or not there's a they, they could have weird what they describe as you know, like, oh, this is a natural sinkhole. The uh, at some point a river was here and it made a natural swirly pattern and made this very interesting, uh, fully granite bowl, but ten times. And people might chalk something up. So when you have engineered soil on every continent, and we have this dynastic, lineal view of us, we're the most advanced as we've ever been, which is way not true. And we're finding it because it's not just in our ancient history. It's in our genetics. It's the way we're relearning behaviors like the the whole Wim Hof method, that whole controlling your immune system and, and, and reactivating these things through uh, like that very first thing. And I know, I know, I know it was a sponsor thing, but I'm, I'm bringing it up right now for the exact reason. What was that? What was that that you're using at the beginning of the show? You were just talking about uh, the C60. Yeah. See, I think that there are companies and peoples rediscovering because of a collective consciousness that these, these products are helping us now because we're aware of what they can do. And I think that it's super important because this engineered soil ties into this whole blanket of, as we table all the clues in this adult game of archaeology clue, we have clerksorb spheres, and now we have engineered soil definitely on continents shared together where nobody but uh, nomadic peoples are supposed to exist. So what does that mean? It it means that uh, clearly there was not only a larger population because it's the richest growing soil. It's got piezoelectric properties for communications and transporting energy. It it filters heavy metals and carbon dioxide. So. I am not saying on top of it, the complexities of this is that it's not just that they, well, they had billions and billions and billions of people and they had to like make more food in the soil. Cause we're, we're learning how to 3d print meat. We're learning how to 3d print uh, biology, our concept of not having enough food. It's going to be very star Trek, uh, walk up to the, uh, what do you want to eat tonight? And we'll each get our plate. It's going to come, you know, we got to think more like that, but, But if you have a high technology society that's still managing a lot of different gases and carbon dioxides, would it be, would it behoove you to have a large amount of soil that literally just helps everything filter the carbon dioxide, no matter what, no matter what your technology is, you would want that. So one, we can't assume that there was just more people and just more farming. But one thing we can do is say in our post younger driest life for the last since we declared that there was a land bridge in the Bering Straits from Siberia to North America to South America, we have declared that no one was in America. Well, there's engineered soil from Canada to South America, and and, and, in, and, and it matches in Central, South, North Africa. And that's just what's been found, right, consciously and, and, and intentionally found. So then we have it all over Europe and everywhere else. Well, clearly then that society... This is the most. In fact, this is the first time I've actually ever said any of what we're saying in the exact context. I've said it right now, this show, right here. That for people to get their head around, I think this is why it's worth like like having a couple conversations. Because think about this: if no one's been in North America, no one's been in Siberia other than the Mongols, and uh, we only know dynastic, you know, peoples. Who the hell was laying down millions of square miles and kilometers of engineered soil in North and Eastern Asia, if not pre-Younger Dryas? So this is the most laser guided discussion I could have ever had in the most long answerable way about how the hell do we get a a date range for the most advanced society on Earth? And I totally think it's pre-Younger Dryas. And easily past that 60,000 year mark, where we are definitely dealing with peoples that have all these abilities already. So now, you know, and yes, those interesting little nano gold technology bits that are found to be at least 22,000 years old to 50 in, uh, again, in Siberia, there's a lot of uh, work that hasn't been done in that area yet. There's a lot of interesting Neolith, Eolith. Uh, There's a 24, 27 foot tall wood uh, totem pole that was pulled out of Eastern Siberia that dates to over 40,000 years old. Uh, Nobody talks about that, Uh, that, that, that you can see on ancient origins. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it couldn't make the book because it was about, it, it was, there's always simultaneously some tribe living somewhere. So we think that, well, if we were really advanced, well, yeah, but we leave 150 tribes alone. Well, we, if we're not throwing them off their land or poisoning them, we, we generally leave 150 tribes alone and they still live, you know, with nature. So there's also that aluminum piece that was found. This is really interesting. Uh, in, in Europe, there was an aluminum piece and it made daily mail. It made international news even, uh, think two years ago. It has a round hole in it. Uh, it looks, it looks like a machine part. To me, it looks like a, a part of a braking mechanism on a forklift, and it has nothing to do with that. It's 100% aluminum. It's at least 800 years older than when we invented aluminum. And it was found under a mastodon skull, which laid in situ, no disruption, for at least 36,000 years dead. And this piece was under it. That some of the poo-pooers have said, Oh, it's, uh, it's an aluminum piece from a Messerschmitt, which has never been seen before. The part's never been found before, but uh, it it crashed, they said, and it shot under the mastodon. And that's why it's, uh, it's a modern thing. And it was just, no, 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 no. Based on photos and everything else, this is a piece of aluminum that is well-machined, exactly like the nano parts that were found in Siberia. Not identical. I mean, those were gold this is aluminum and it's again it's pure aluminum and it's well made and it's at least 40,000 years old uh wow so what do you do with that and well it could have came from someplace else our whole issue is that if there's an advanced human race still living on this planet it's easy for them to avoid us it's easy for them with their technology to either live at the bottom of the ocean or or avoid us i mean we, we don't notice whole things like colonies of penguins in Antarctica for, you know, there was a satellite image of 1.5 million of Delhi penguins and we didn't notice it until three years ago. I mean, how do you not notice black and white penguins, 1.5 million, a super colony, everybody likes penguins and you guys just missed almost a million and a half penguins waddling around. They do it every year and you guys didn't notice. It's not like they were hiding and 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 so we didn't notice that and then there's hyperion i bring it up all the time this tree which also great sci-fi novels dan simmons hyperion long read really good but the uh hyperion tree is a redwood that is 379 feet tall it's been featured in national geographic it's so big it doesn't look real when you see pictures of it when you look it up on the internet It will show you a tree and you're like, oh, it doesn't look that tall because it's in a massive forest and there's all these trees around it. The trees are short and it looks big compared to those trees. Well, the trees that's being compared against are 100 feet tall. Hyperion is 379 feet and no one noticed it till 2008. Granted, I bet some natives and tribal peoples knew about it, but they didn't share with the loggers and no one logged it. And This is virgin forest, so no one hit it. But the point is, is that nobody noticed a 380-foot, 60-plus wide diameter tree. I mean, it literally stands heads and tails by 200 feet. Well, 279-ish feet, give or take, above everything. It's incredible. And we didn't notice it till 2008. And those are just two obvious points about how hard is it for a highlight, like the Tic Tac UFO, you know, how hard is it to fly it, you know, you know, to go off a weapon screen of an F-22 instantaneously faster than that thing can track, uh, while simultaneously actively locking, uh, basically in an act of war, actively locking weapons, weapons jamming. And how hard is it for that society to live anywhere on the planet that isn't currently occupied by humans or gone to for a Patagonia commercial?
0: Yeah, you made it's- an interesting point about the the ocean we have so much of our ocean that is unknown unexplored we have no idea what is down there and like you said how easy would it be for some breakaway civilization to be thriving in some sort of you know underwater type you know yeah um, whatever yeah there's
1: use i i know that there was an article sent to me i get some cool stuff now from people and one of them was about a russian cover story about a submarine that approached one of these settlements I have no idea what the origin of this story is, but that apparently happened recently that there was a cover story about a Russian submarine accident. But in reality, it was a Russian sub finally approached one of these societies. I haven't, I've not looked it up. I literally got this yesterday and I I try to steer away from, I would love for that to be true because everyone's looking for that term disclosure. Everyone's looking for, um, the be- the best the best reason i have for this is in my title of the book which is it's not aliens worse it's us this is the worst part we assume that if we were really advanced or could help people out well we would help them out well there are people living in the woods that we don't go bring cell phones to and cars and make them come out of the woods so we're not helping them you know they're they're doing what they do they live they eat, breathe die deal with cancer and they they're not going to the male clinic they're just living their life so if I was a highly advanced human race and I was living underwater or anywhere else, the question or the assumption is that if it was our relatives, that they would do something for us. And I think the worst part is that they're not. And it's because I think in the past they've tried maybe, and we could chalk up some of these interactions from the Sumerians and the Harappan and the cultures in the East that get zero credit ever for existing other than the Greeks and then something happened in the East. Who cares about them? But the reality is that there is a highly advanced human race that every now and then steps out and goes, we got to help these people. They, they've, they've looked what they've survived. You know, we lived in laser cut rock cut tunnels and bunkers under the ground. We've been uh, living, we've been recovering, but we're, but we're, we more than survived and they've come out and dynastic peoples have adapted and changed the Egyptians uh, into the Egyptians. They've, taken over where the Aztecs are. They've taken over Machu Picchu. They've taken over Tiwanaku. They've taken over all these places and these South American uh, dynastic peoples. And so they come out and then you end up with a God like Veracocha. Uh, here you have a God who's red haired red beard in a land full of what's supposed to be black haired, no bearded people who teaches them to farm. So if I was a highly advanced culture coming out after the last mega disaster, let's teach people how to farm. Let's teach people how to be slightly stay put those crazy tribes over there that are still warlike and hunting and gathering. Well, they'll take over the farmers and then they'll be tied to the farmers and they won't be able to go as far. So we can come back out of our bunkers and maybe uh, speculation that we could collect some of our old technology that we still left up here. When the last disaster happened, we've helped them out a little bit, but look the last time we helped them, you know, it didn't work out so good. They murdered half the people over there and, You know, that's your fault, Phil. You shouldn't have given them fill in the blank, right? And so they decide, screw it. Let's leave them alone for a thousand years or let's not interact with them if we don't have to. Or, you know, which teenager took out the, uh, you know, the Mach 100 uh, sporty space car that dad was saving for an anniversary and you just, you kids just wrecked it at Roswell. You know, that's, that. those are the the hypotheticals that get us to, is it easily possible as buildings, constructions, underwater, in forests, uh, literally at Hyperion, there are so many different ways without any high technology to cloak your existence, without really anything. And they jammed again. Uh, the assumption is it's multi. It, it, can you believe it? It's an easier grasp. It's easier for people to get their heads around that an alien or an inter interdimensional. We 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 have hypothetical math on that. We're finally we've breached. We've finally come so far, just in the last, I would say, 10 years, where the state of spintronics of quantum computing gave us, in very limited s- settings, a quantum computer for a couple seconds to now an indefinite time period that quantum computing can sustain information, bits, actual record things and maintain it without being an absolute zero. And the architecture for quantum computing has actually happened. I mean, that's incredible, but it's an easier leap for us to go interdimensional space, traveling anthropology aliens come to earth is an easier tie in than some super dicks from a long time ago, still live here and don't help us out. Uh, And that the technology to completely block with impunity at active speeds, impossible for the United States military to weapons block and totally shake out, uh, an F two, two, like it's nothing and fly off screen at estimates of over, you know, you know, Mach 22 or whatever it was, or some crazy number and do zero point turns. And then we think, you know, well, you know, it must be interdimensional. It must be from the future. Oh, that's the other one. It must be from the future. It must be, it, that's the easier jump than it's just our advanced ancestors who haven't stopped being here because they could engineer soil, they could engineer our genes, they could trip out and do everything that we do, except they're still 100% conscious. That's the issue is consciousness, right? So here they are and it's like, look, this is still home. Uh, well, do we have a larger solar, uh, world that, uh, that's like a whole nother conversation eventually. If you want to have that, did they already sell the solar system that they already send out stuff? Like I know we've touched on a little bit, but I totally think it's possible for them to be easily living here and just not caring. Uh, well we see them more and more and, they seemed, yeah, and there are military, there are legit military UFOs. Is it possible, like my publisher, Olaf Phillips, has declared, is it possible that we have uh, militaries now equally at as far as 150 years in advance of where we're at? Possible, but I feel like that technology would be really, 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 really trippy. And so, yeah, I think we're, we're, we're definitely heading there. But we have a window that we can look at in the ruins we find between I guess 3 billion and 60,000 years ago and we're finding stuff. We're just, we're misidentifying it, you know, like dolmens and, and standing stones, no matter what, it's not like somebody went out and said, this rock is just weathered. This is our Charlie Brown Christmas rock instead of a Christmas tree. It's like this dolmen is just weathered enough, but look, it still has a perfectly square base or it has a perfectly square top, but the middle has been weathered out like a mofo. And that's, uh, that's the stone we want here. That's not how they started. They all started as singular, uh, well-shaped stones. And then over thousands of years they weathered. Um, there's a distinction for this in Tiwanaku between the H-blocks and the they call it the Gate of the Sun. And you know it fell over and it's been featured on a lot of shows and they have put it back up. And then there's one that's still on the ground that's broke but this is a single piece of like it's like 120 tons and it's a gate and but again dynastic peoples have come along and put stuff on it but my specific point about weathering is that mind you the entire site at tiwanaku is in mud just like oh yeah like mud like actual mud and so the ones that have been tipped down well they're you could practically cut your finger on them they're they're allegedly so sharp on the sides that were in the mud, the sides that have been weathered, that have been out, and mind you, for an uncountable number of years, that they are completely natural aggregate almost. They look like, it just looks like rock practically, the way they've been weathered, the way that the stone. And there is some evidences, Dr. Joseph David Davidovitz, again, the father of geopolymers, who is still alive, well And uh, still the father of geopolymers and still doing a ton of work with that. So whether it's your concrete under your house or whether it's your sidewalks that you walk on or, or at the mall, uh, chances are there's a geopolymer at the geopolymer Institute probably created. They've done a lot of research and they found geopolymers at Tiwanaku, but it doesn't mean that all of it was. And even if it wasn't, we're talking about laser cut, polished, shaped, not by a laser. I'm just saying for the sense of fineness, for the sake of the description, uh well polished blocks that are incredibly fine on the sides that have been protected by being in the ground and not quarried away by local people who need them for their houses or unfortunately when the spanish came along for churches which is what happened quite a bit of it so now 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 you can't you blur the lines on weathering but it's really easy to look at some of this stuff and go is it a natural wall is it not is it uh is it just a few hundred years it's pretty easy this is the sad thing all of us live in towns where if there's even an 80 or 90 or 100 year old building and if you live in a northern climate like I do uh, where there's snow and then humidity in summer and you go look at any masonry building that has not been maintained you will not you'll be shocked if if I took close-up pictures or even from a distance from a wall I walk by uh, block walls that look like... They, they look like they're a thousand years old because all the flat face has fallen off them. And it, and it just looks like it, it, it looks like just a bunch of aggregate got kind of cakey hard from the sun. Like it baked and dried. It's like, you couldn't tell me that was a wall and it was definitely a wall. Cause I just have to walk a few more feet, but that's how easily it is to mistake some of this stuff. Cause we can't date lichen there's lichen that grows like really super colonies of ancient lichen. I mean, we do know that it takes a long time for lichen to grow, but we haven't been able to genetically, I mean, here's a conspiracy for everyone. I'm totally using the word for the first time in a long time. I'm throwing down the conspiracy button. Why don't we know how old, like we know a lot about genes, but why don't we know how lichen reproduces? because we're all into carbon 14 and carbon 13 and OSL and all these other radiocarbon methods and datings. Why don't we know exactly the genetic disposition of lichen so that we could look at a super colony at, on the electron microscope level and see if there's petrified lichen colonies or that in their genome, we know they reproduce at X rate and you know, that would be a great way to age some of at least the length of um, abandonment, you know, for some of these stones. But we don't we don't have that. There's no way to date lichen. There's no way to date stone itself. Um, with geo, geopolymers are mixes, sand, stone, lime, assorted other things that uh, depending on the geopolymer. That means there's organics like a leaf or something that could be dated carbonly. You know, basically just imagine a leaf. Well, two problems you make a concrete staircase for the front of your house and a couple leaves are in it, you would have to bust up the staircase and find the leaves in order to do carbon testing and not contaminate those leaves with modern carbon. Then you're screwed. So we have a lot of right now logistical issues with testing. However, here's a no brainer, Tiwanaku in particular I know we were going to talk about it. Now I'm off talking about Tiwanaku. Should I shut up and let you ask a question about Tiwanaku? Well,
0: no. The only question that I had was um, when you are speaking about Tiwanaku, you mentioned the gate that they had put back yeah. up. Yeah. Now, and there's locations all across the planet that have these – what seemed to be doors that go to nowhere and there's, are so p- perfectly symmetrically cut um, yeah. and they, they ah. in different locations, you know, South America, uh, Egypt, Peru, all these different places. Um, what do you think that the, the purpose or what do you think that, the, that those doors are for?
1: I think it's really, uh, a lot of these have been said they're doors to the gods or portals and it's hard. It's good to imagine a higher technology because it's not that all these buildings were um, just in you know incorporating polygonal construction. These doorways or these or they like to be called false doors. And of course, the paleoanthropologists and archaeologists of the last hundred something years they look at it and they go, "Oh, um, well, that was just to throw off tomb robbers," and. You know, it's a false door, so they have to dig harder and longer, or it's a portico for uh, a statuary of some kind. And I don't think that's the case. I think if we zero back into that 50,000 year ago super advanced society, I think, uh, you know, one of the big jokes was that you're going to be able to walk up to the pyramid one of these days and plug in and download. Like it's just going to work like a giant flash drive because it's all quartz based, uh, you know, high frequency technology stuff. So, the dolmens tie into this. I told you they have a circle. A lot of them, like they're four sided, but they're usually at an angle. And the front has a hole in it. And it almost to me looks like it's a communication, like it would send waves and frequencies. So I'm, I'm always like looking at, um, even though it's been readapted in our time, how does it look in the old time? And these doorways to me uh, look like outside sports stadium uh, jumbotrons. So, We have to think about a society that's engineered soil that's using, so we're in safe mode and possibly getting in less, more stately safe mode. But the idea is we're using 10 to 14% of our brain. These people were using probably maybe the whole thing. So how much could they do through synesthesia and abilities that were consciously controlled where they could taste, sense, touch, smell, like they could just be somewhere else consciously? And just be present without the need of an external device like a phone or like a computer. So how much of it is um, an external advertising? I mean, this sounds silly, but what if it was as simple as an advertising screen or a communication screen where that area represented a a collection of either some sort of magnetic field, uh, some sort of containment. screen to further project or to kind of like have you ever seen conversation chairs uh they date back they're very old they date back to the seven i maybe they're older than the 1700s but they both have they both look like you're sitting in a half shell and if you turn the two chairs yeah so if you if you and i know there's a bunch of other names for them and I, i don't know if they're french in origin but they uh you know if you sit facing each other it basically hyper you know, amplifies your voice and it mutes out everybody else. And so I kind of imagine them a bit like that. And that's probably just my interest in frequencies and sounds and waves and that area that I look at these things. And I can't help but think that it's not something you stepped into to go anywhere. It's something you either looked at and something was being projected for you, or you were able to amplify what you were already doing to get it even further. So, from a magnetic frequency standpoint, what am I saying? I I don't know if it directly would, like you would connect it to another building or directly to to another mind through a pineal gland connection through some sort of collective human consciousness, whether or not you're, or, or it's amplifying your connection to this engineered soil, which has these piezoelectric properties. So, it's amplifying those waves and frequencies and what you're communicating through the soil itself to, through a, uh, now again, we we think of technology as an external, either devices or we think of. Uh, right now, we do designer babies, so we can get our heads just a little bit around uh, what our genome is capable of—not not just in strength and in pretty features, but in technical abilities. Like again, not just don't don't think mind control, but think mind mindful communication between others and ourselves and our, our systems, and that would include then, I think, popping into one of these doorways. And or, again, we're, we're missing the fact that any technology with these doorways is long-dusted, rotted, repurposed, fired, burned, stolen. Uh, we are assuming that um, the technology involved in creating these rock cut... By the way, this is definitely... We almost have to stop talking about this polygonal cymatic society and, and, and start talking about this rock cut society. And they were literally cutting these doorways right into large, really hard rocks. And they were doing it with the same technology that they were able to measure and shape these cymatic polygonal blocks. But we just for us to think about the technology to not only cut and move hundreds and thousands of tons and, and, and do the complexity of the shapes, we are not getting our heads around the other ancillary technologies. No one would be that. This is the problem. You Take a look at any book. Don't do it. Don't Don't even, while we're having this conversation, don't even look up on the internet. Uh, pick any period in history, Neolith, Eolith, uh, Egyptian pyramid building, and you're going to get loincloth slaves. It's always slaves. They're always in loincloths. So they were super good at building and reading earthquake technology and moving multiple tens of thousands of blocks. So if we immediately say, yes, we agree, it's a high technology society with like, and then we start thinking about tools we use. We think about power grinders and wet saws and uh, band saws, wet band saws that all the different techniques that quarries use right now to cut our granite countertops and assorted other things. You know, we think our technology, we're not thinking there, there's even sonic devices that will do core cuts now that we've rediscovered or reapplied. I mean, watch videos on that, but those are our methodologies, but, but all the air compressors and electricity and the machining and the foundry work to make the parts, let alone design them, let alone mass produce them, those sciences and technologies would also be their sciences and technologies, which means it is very unlikely that they left these buildings to just be rock. They would. We see these nubs all over all these buildings, and the assumption is, can't figure out the nubs. Well, I know from doing building and construction, the nubs are for, uh, it, I'm not saying these nubs are for this. I'm saying that in the examples I know, they're for sheer strength. And sheer strength is exactly what it sounds like for those of you not doing construction. Think sliding down a hill. If you did it right, you could put two surfaces together together. And if you have a lot of nubs over a large area surface on the external of a building, it's going to help hold that secondary surface in place. One side can hug over the other, and the other side can be flat. It could have texture. So we're we're dealing with a society that's connecting the soil, the foundational structure, rock cut uh, doorways that might not be doors. They're not portals so much as they are. I hit uh, um, maybe even. You know, telephone booths, old school, but not for telephones. More higher frequency wave technology. But again, we're imagining that the rocks themselves—that when we take away all the ruinness of it—that there's a giant at Sacsayhuaman or Machu Picchu or Tiwanaku—that we're looking at a giant culture of stone builders that didn't know squat apparently about wood or metal. But we know that they used metal because inside the polygonal cuts there's keystone cuts and those are made out of metal. So when we start layering this conversation and I'm going to use this forever more going forward because your ability to ask the question of what's the oldest thing we got to like that range. I I think it's so important that we have a solid mystery that I think we can table and discuss and continue to like put in front of anyone and everyone on this planet has a genetic memory. We have flashes, we have um, deja vus, but there is a collective human consciousness, and how we all tap into it is very different. It depends on our positive gene expression, how we eat, those free radicals. In all seriousness, I mean, I'm a big paleo guy. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I, I'm, I'm definitely uh, try to eat in a way that elevates my consciousness directly, not not in an earth, not just in some woo-woo way. I mean if you get up and can feel good your whole you know day and night and not ever be tired or hangry, who doesn't want to feel like that every day to feel your best all day, not just for a little window in the afternoon, but feel your best all day. And that's something I shoot for. And to get there, I think that these uh, memories that sometimes we unlock where we think it's a past life or a paranormal thing, it's all tied to a long human Ability to store information that we just don't access at 10 to 14% consciousness and in a society that's connecting the soil and connecting the buildings and then doing it with all this other, again, supplemental abilities, it would mean they would have a very fine materials platform, their their ability to finish off a construction. So it's very important to take these doorways that you're talking about and for everyone who goes and looks at them because everyone needs to be mindful. This is exciting and fun. I'm giving everybody homework. And that is when you look at these buildings, whether you're an artist, an author, I don't care if you work as an accountant. I don't care if you think you're the most practical, uninterested in ancient stuff in the world. Look at some of these things and just apply what you know to it. Just look at it. It's great to watch all these shows on all these, uh, uh, whether it's on all these cable networks or listening to us. But the idea now is that you'll learn more doing stuff like this, like what we're doing, like deconstructing it. But for everyone listening, look at these doorways and from your perspective, put the pragmatism into what you would do with that space. There's a problem in that the building that was around it is gone. But what would you imagine the finished materials to be? If there was, how would that doorway make sense? One, don't call it a doorway. How would that design element fit within a structure that's built right next to it out of wood, out of stone, out of concrete? What would a structure like that look like if there was 10 of them in a row? And it was, again, indoors or in a tented, covered you have to imagine, I don't care if you're a big hiker, climber, whatever it is, look at these uh, constructions and start seriously dreaming and imagining the finished materials. Because these are not societies that just, they didn't use copper tools and bang these buildings out. These are really, really advanced works. And it means that those tech, I cannot stress enough, the technologies that they would have been privy to would mean that they would have processed food. It just might be healthier or maybe not. could be worse. could be like a super ancient Twinkie that gave you diabetes after one, but they were that good. You couldn't stop. Like you could just stop before you get all the way to the end of it, but you couldn't. It was engineered that well. You had to eat it. You had to give yourself diabetes. You also then bought the diabetes cure Twinkie at the same pharmacy. I don't know, but you know, that's, 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 those are the things to consider.
0: Now, when we're talking about some of these technologies, i want to I want to dig a little deeper into the vibrational frequencies and the vortex quantum uh, cymatics that you talk about. Um, yeah, get a little bit um, a little bit more detail into what what this means and you know what this was for these people.
1: yeah, so uh, so we we're just talking about the billings, and I think a great one is Soxe Waman, because. One, the walls are well. So we look at them and we say that they're walls. I think they're foundational structures. I think that what we're looking at is, you know, there's, there's one piece of at Sacsayhuaman, which is 800 tons, just one block. And again, they're they're cut on multiple sides. And the point is, is that the theory was that once they tested it, is that the because there's no mortar and they all fit perfectly together, these giant cymatic polygonal blocks fit together in a way where the total, I believe, from a, a construction background with, with my understanding of uh, weights, engineering, how you would build a multi-story structure or a single structure and add on to it or move it, what you need to do is you, you decide, I'm going to put a building here. And we know that in the ground, four miles deep, six miles over, there's the edge of a tectonic plate that when it rubs, it doesn't flip under, it doesn't push up, it doesn't curve down. These are all the theories on how tectonic plates move, by the way. I did this for the district science fair. I've known this since fifth grade. I'm a nerd. I'm just anyway. So tectonic plates for earthquakes, they either rub together and cause a certain frequency and wave, they push up. Which also still causes vibrations and frequencies and pressures and a whole bunch of crap load of problems. They also go down and they overlap each other sometimes. So, you're a society that can measure and knows, and maybe even just like we do geosonic surveys and we can tell, we, 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 with our, um, Sonar can basically tell when there's underground structures, but we, we don't really have a good, at least our technology in the commercial public is not that, that we can see very well. Underground It's likely that military technology is better, but what we have available, we, we can't we can, get the, we can get the gist of it, but we don't really see it clear. So imagine a society that could probably see it clear. They knew where the plates were, and they also knew what the frequency and wave was. If they're going to build at this level and they're going to build so tall, But then, okay, so here's the part where we can start giving everybody training wheels for how to reconstruct these buildings every time they see a show and listen to something about this. This is not discussed on any show ever. I'm having a lot of firsts here. Uh, I've not mentioned, I've not given people this concept either. Okay, so you're at Sacsayhuaman and you build 40 feet tall, which a lot of people, by the way, don't know. Some of those ruins, uh, some of those walls I've heard go at least 40 feet deep and I'm doing some work on figuring that out uh, because we don't know then where the bottom was and what it looked like. But I think that those walls are foundational. So we're going to build so high with polygonal, super heavy, high quartz, anything you need for frequency and wave constructions. So the construction itself isn't just a tall concrete building like we built. They're specifically using blocks That have a vibrational, the exact same crystal that's in your processor for your computer right now is a crystal, only they're building out of entire crystals. And then they're connecting those blocks with metal. They don't need the metal to keep the blocks together. These things have been so finely cut and so finely set. These blocks are going nowhere or they're going somewhere After literally thousands of years of no one maintaining them and an uncountable number of earthquakes, and literally being left alone over the last 6,000 dynastic years, because no one's done anything to help them except take them apart. So they're building with these tech frequencies and technology uh, type constructions. They're putting all the specific cuts in these polygonal buildings. So that the earthquake that is in this particular example is four miles deep, six miles over, and when the wave comes to hit them, they know that this building is primarily only going to be hit by fill-in-the-blank wave at fill-in-the-brain, you know, and they're going to use stone spheres, which are found all over the earth, which are hollow, not always 100% round, because they represent exactly the kind of waves and frequencies they want to either communicate, uh, mute inside, or transfer on. So we'll get to stone spheres. Which I talk about in the book too. But right now we have this frequency wave technology to protect against earthquakes, but we've only gotten as far as the rock. Well, now they got to put a building on that. So are they gonna do uh are they gonna go cut down that giant redwood because they're still grown all over the earth? I'll tell you the sequoia or the meta sequoia, which came before Sequoia and the giant redwoods, and they're all over. If no one ever talks about the fact that If you're a cymatic polygonal construction crew that moves 1,000 ton to 3,000 ton, not only you're moving, you're cutting them like the giant obelisk at Aswan Quarry that everyone's like, holy crap, how are they even going to get that out of the ground? The society that can do that can cut and fell and not like a bunch of lumberjacks in the 1800s. I'm talking about felling a 380-foot Hyperion in a way that doesn't hurt it. And how many of those do you need with the same tools that used use to cut out these massive cymatic blocks? How complex are the tools for you to cut out perfect wood rooms and conduit ways out of three of these trees on top of those polygonal blocks? which how many stories? And so they're on a polygonal bl- base, which also then has to account for the weight and the object above it and how all that's going to work with earthquakes. But if you're an ancient high-tech society that's doing wave and frequency work, what else does that what is the breadth of wave and frequency? Well, we've heard a lot of the terms of Tesla's scalar waves. And so for a lot of people, they're like, oh man, Tesla is super underappreciated on a lot, of, uh, 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 on a lot of levels. But there's also a guy that Ken Wheeler keeps talking about, um, Steinmetz, which is literally the father of a lot of the reasons why we all have electricity period. And there were so many brilliant people we have just in recent times that, um, uh, started getting into this electro, Like we think that dielectricity, electricity and magnetism are different things. So the subject you opened up is so important and so new in the vernacular of any conversation. One of the only people, and I'll tell you, it took me many, many hours because the man is truly brilliant, but Ken Wheeler's work on magnetism is unprecedented. I would have to go back to the people like Steinmetz and Tesla and, uh, of course all the people working on quantum mechanics uh schrodinger and you know and the works we'd have to go back to that direction to get to the same kind of brilliance level but what what does this what does this mean it means that either there's a duality of particles and waves and frequencies or in reality we only have a duality model because we're not sure what it is and i think what it really is is it's a magnetic toroidal uh that again it's that's part of the dielectric. So toroidal fields and the idea of a torus, the idea of a donut-shaped uh, field of energy, of magnetism and what that is, uh, all of it ties together. It's, one, it's not separate things. It's one thing. There's not electricity and dielectricity and magnetism. And uh, none of this is all separate. It's all one thing. A wave, uh, to quote Ken Wheeler, isn't something that is put out A wave is something, like I'm waving my arms, but if I'm in water, I'm creating waves, but I'm not the one who's on the, my arms are not now 300 feet long and reaching the coast. I'm creating a field perturbation. So this society understood this, and this ties into the question, which is how complex is a frequency and wave-based society that understands magnetism also and understands the true power fields? So. The legends of dynastic, including like Rapanui in Easter Island. When I say dynastic peoples, people think fancy Greeks, Romans, Egyptians, Aztecs, Mayans, uh, even the Toltecs, Olmecs, stuff like that. Harappan in India, but what what I'm I'm talking about, like even the Easter Island moai, the 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 heads. Uh, there is polygonal masonry on Easter Island, which means there's also polygonal, There's there's it's in, it's in New Zealand, but I'm saying dynastic peoples, including the people of Rapa Nui of Easter Island, they, they said that the statues walked to their places. And I think these are some of the echoing remnants, including if we reference the Hindu Vedas, where do we have millions of years of history in the Vedas? Yes. Are they referring to gods? Yes. So to me, that automatically says we're talking about, excuse me, a, a mythification of what was already legend or already story. So we're still not dealing with, I think for the most part, we're not dealing with firsthand accounts, but then uh, how it matters is that all over the earth, the stories go, these giant blocks walked or floated into place. You know, I've been to Coral Castle and same deal. You know, the stories are that Coral Castle that a uh, couple of kids witnessed, you know, that it was being built and that blocks were floating. Um, I don't think that was true for Coral Castle. I th- I think that's be- I, I think that's because he used to be a lumberjack, uh, and he knew lumber and movement. I think the guy was uh, very well equipped with hoists and winches and he knew what he was doing. And that that doesn't negate though the general commonality of the stories from a very isolated place like Easter Island to all these mainland areas where they are floating. And what this does it ties into, magnetic and anti-gravity technology. Uh, I talk about Victor Schauberger. Yes, this never gets to come up. Victor Schauberger is considered a great naturalist. Uh, He's an Austrian, but the man was essentially a quantum philosopher. And what he noticed between cold water, warm water, water has... We should do a whole show on water. Water has a lot of weird properties that people don't even know about. They think it's just cold or snow or whatever. Water does weird stuff. Like We know, ice rinks know, that if you have slightly warmer water, when you freeze it, it freezes harder. Did you know that? You can have different hardnesses of freezing water. And Victor Schauberger understood vortexes. He was eventually um, grabbed by the Socialist Party during the war. In the in the late thirties and uh in, you know into the forties, he was conscript, conscripted. But his theories on the way vortexes work, which ties into the toroidal fields, which ties into our new concepts of magnetism, and that maybe there isn't a duality of particles and waves, that we are waves and frequencies, that there is um, a plane of inertia, and that there there, you know, that. The, the way that this all works then is that they're tying this into the constructions of the actual population centers of these, of what's left. We're looking at, again, we have, we have no finished materials. So, the the outer shells are not just decorative. Like we have homes that are just well, it keeps the rain and snow out and it keeps it from molding or the heat or the cool fill in the blank. But they're not complex. We don't go home to live in the most holistic environment ever that's not off-gassing formaldehydes and killing us. Doesn't matter if it's a million dollar home or a hundred thousand dollar home or a condemned one. We don't look at homes and build to manage the waves and frequency, it's something I've been looking at for years, and it's part of my design build. What I, what I you know, have been thinking on for a long time, and I do because I do restoration building, but the idea is imagine coming home to a home where it's perfectly your home. It's private, but unlike your home, at, whether it's in the city, in a little row house, or in an apartment building, instead of any of that, imagine a society that knows waves and frequencies so well that the very ebb and flow of our spinning And our traveling in a solar system in the galaxy is going to put us, despite a balanced and well-tuned ionosphere, is going to put us through vibrational frequency changes, are going to hit our planet in a way that will affect us individually. But with all the technology on the planet, like Wi-Fi and the stuff we use now, and I know it's popular to talk about 5G, but I'm not going to. I'm going to tell you that this is a society that tripped out buildings Where I think, right down to your daily life, when as you slept, there was um, whether you needed to retune some cells, get rid of some cancer cells, get rid of some leukemia, uh, whatever you didn't have those issues because there was a constant vibrational and energy quality that was emitted and controlled within and outside of every building, including through the connective soils, including engineered through the way they laid out tree systems as in trees do not, I don't think trees were just very random. I think that, you know, the way we think of forests or parks or golf courses are planned, I think, more complexity, more complexity than that. But you have a society that is building with the stones and the structures that allow for this connectivity to be absolute, not for the sake of just communication, but for healing. So that means the way you live within a home it's not that you can't bring that quality to an individual home and space, but it's not going to be a separate building. <clears throat> it may be a more group building like what we see at Petra in those ruins. Uh, what we think of is right now catacombs where they build a lot of rock cut. Um, what looks like, well, this is where you bury your debt. Well, maybe those were actually rock cut because those were sleeping quarters and it wasn't just healthy to isolate yourself, that this communal living may have looked very differently 50 or 60,000 years ago because the way you set up ways and frequencies within even a whole platforms like the Giza Plateau where the great pyramids are, there's a great courtyard and it's made out of many, many, like at least 1,000 ton stones and they're polygonal. And literally, they're right at people's feet. People are busy looking up at the pyramid and they don't really look down. There's lots and lots of videos of the feet of the. There's like, we're talking massive 12 by 40 by, I mean, giant megalithic cyclopean blocks that you're walking on as a, as a, what you think is, oh, this is just a very well made courtyard. But, but there'll be, you look down and there'll be like an S between the two blocks and like within the size of a fist, like to cut that out and to put those two stones together. And then we're back to what engineering, what seismic metamaterials do they set and layer all these stones on to make them flat and never come apart to put these giant structures on? So now they're walking on a material that's not only flat, but has magnetic and piezoelectric. I mean, just what's coming, either going through, or causing the stone to vibrate is doing it in a way that is helping bring some Zen to your cells. And the technologies that we think of right now, when we have a broadcast tower, you know, we think of a powerful signal or, you know, you think of a, like a television station where you're like, look, don't walk up to that intent over there. You're going to microwave your brain. You know, we think like that, but I, I think the scale that they built on was one, because they lived through tens of thousands of years of disasters. So it's easy to plan for that. We could geek out about that one of these times. Uh, Constantly coming out of a rock cut tunnel, ruin, you know, like full storage system, underground facility, and walking out into, uh, you know, totally flooded pyramid and going, oh, at least that made it. And, you know, so planning for larger disasters, but that's only one side of it. The real issue is, Tuning a planet, tuning the very air that you're walking through to not be so harsh or intentional in a concentrated waveform that when weaponized, like the scalar weapons we have now, how would you build a society like with a high quartz content, frequency wave vibrational, supercomputer polygonal construction, how would that construction be able to counter mute in its own entirety or even sense through the trees, through a biological, -biological, techno-biological construction right down to fungus and bacteria that are running through a network of engineered soil? How would you be able to detect, um, deflect, or absorb a scalar weapon, which God forbid you're standing in front of them? I mean, right. some of them are besides popping eardrums, they're capable of, I mean, essentially we've created sound that can levitate, but imagine just walking along and for a second feel some pressure and instead of like a nuclear wave, you're 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 hit with a scalar weapon that pretty much just melts you on the spot. I mean, before you even have a, a half of a conscious second to reconsider what just happened to you. I mean, that the 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 weapons technology applications of a society that can manage this would definitely fall into just like these other ancillary technologies to cut, measure, and build, it would fall into the weapons side. So we have to consider that when you're staring at these large megalithic constructions, they had to, you know, we think, oh, well, they figured it all out at some point and people lived indefinitely. And we have evidences like the King's List in Sumeria and the Bibles talking about people living thousands and the Sumerian kings pre-flood, you know, 32,000 years apiece. You know, you have a king's list with 300, 264,000 ish plus, plus or minus something. Cause it's not just one king's list and they do show eight kings and they literally say, these are our pre-flood kings and they lived each one ruled for 32,000 years. And they're like, you know, well, those are echoing remnants of possibly a society that did have indefinite lifespans and cells. Like Anthony Holland, I talk about him. You can look him up on the internet. There's a TED Talk with Anthony Holland. He bought, as a professor, he he took all of Royal Rife's actual work, and there's a lot of conspiracy around what happened to Royal Rife's frequency and technology work, that he was curing me- mega diseases. Well, <clears throat> he was doing it with really strong plasma waves, well, Anthony Holland took that work and in 2008 did a TED Talk and I've not heard too much from him, but they killed MRSA, leukemia, like 40 viruses, 40 bacterias. Absolutely, we're able to keep healthy people but destroy the the, the cells. And, and that work is contemporary. So not only would there be a medical application to waves and frequencies in the past that for this culture, the issue is going to be what did, God forbid, what did they do to enforce rule breakers? Or uh, how do they weaponize it? And I do think it falls into the construction. We don't know if we're looking at public works or military. We don't know what we're looking at. We don't know um, because, again, there, there's an assumption, well, they built with really big rocks and really heavy stuff, and they cut them really well. Yeah, which means they could do it with wood. Which means I bet they had some really cool houses. I mean, I'm not talking about living up with Ewoks, but I mean, like straight up, cut it up. You know, can you imagine building your own home that has a spiral staircase like out of a out of a fantasy drawing or art artist piece like by by Brahms? That you know you have Hyperion, God forbid, chopped in half, and and you carve out a 300 foot home. Out of a single tree? I mean, what would that look like? Or could you shape it while it's living? But th- this is all that's gone or dusted or way buried or petrified. But what we do have left are singing rock mountain. So when it comes to frequencies and waves, we have like in South Africa, they're found these singing rocks. There, are Many cultures in Indonesia, they called singing rocks. They, It's almost like playing a xylophone. And these rocks ring like bells, and they're found all over the earth. There's different reasons for it, but there are some mysteries, like Singing Rock Mountain, which I believe is in Montana. And, you know, unfortunately, somebody will have to correct me on that. I have video of it. I have friends that have gone out. They've got their kids. Everybody brings a hammer. And it's a giant avalanche of rock, and they all ring. All of it. it. You can just bang on it. It's crazy because what <laughs> – but, but it's because it's not the only place. And so what are we picking up? What, what has petrified? What has this ancient patina that has grown on these stones that no one's picked up and forgotten about, for, but they weren't stones? Were they manufactured? Were they part of a larger frequency uh, wave technology? Again, the, the, enough verdicts are coming and the pyramids uh, are just one structure. The obelisks, I've watched people bang with their hands on broken obelisks and they ring like bells. Obelisks themselves are, think of them as giant antenna. That's, that's the other thing. So we have, I spent all this time on polygonal blocks and giving people an idea what could be built on them. But from a wave and frequency standpoint, they understood toroidal fields. They understood magnetism. They understood field perturbation. They understood, the fields of, of 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 the math and science that we just touched on just ever so slightly. But here we have obelisks that ring. And I have done everything I can to find the oldest archaeological records of wherever the obelisks were that weren't moved. Because I believe eight were taken to Europe, which just blows my mind. Here's a question for everyone that I, I of course, am waiting for the frequency wave section of my next book. But what if every single antenna, each one of those obelisks weigh what was a different frequency or received only certain frequencies. So material science experts out there, things we want to know Uh, what is each of the obelisks made out of? Uh, Are any of them still in their original location? Not placed by, a dynastic Egyptian, but original location? And are the structures around them the original structures? This is why this is such a massive question for literally everyone. Nobody, I can't, like I'm doing my best, like I'm planning two archeological trips um, to start addressing engineered soil. I have a plan here in America. I have a plan here to go to South America uh, and I'm gonna work with other people and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be great, but everybody out there listening, this is the issue. It's, we can't put our eyes on all the same things at the same time. And we can't spend all of our time arguing with people who want it to be a tomb. Uh, I just, you know, it's like, if you yell Godzilla and it really is Godzilla, you should run the other guy that doesn't think it's God or, you know, it's like, Hey, Titanic is sinking. No, it's not pass the appetizer. I mean, you can pick how you handle this. Uh, terrible train wreck of this uh paradigm this this religion of uh archaeology that has been standing on uh theory and never ever updating it just thro- just disgusting throwing out every fact that doesn't fit the theories it's been it's gratuitous it's i know that in some circumstances the uh I've been reading about some of the stuff in South America with the, uh, with the inquisitions and some people were so heretical to the Catholic church that they dug up their bones and burned them again. And I feel like we're heading that direction for how far we've been thrown off on our true history. (laughs) Like can can, I think some of these paleoanthropologists, I mean, some of the people that have been long gone who set us down this road, it's like, you know, we 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 gotta we gotta just not worry about the old narrative. We just have to continue on this new narrative and what we're discovering and what we're seeing, and people who are new to the field that are young and up and coming. I'm just hoping that we can keep doing the research and keep doing the work that proves us out and keep having these conversations. Cause if we don't. We are so not gonna. I don't. I don't want to spend a hundred years uncovering like Teotihuacan. You know, like, right. you know, literally. Hey, we found this a 100 years later. It's still not done. Not even close. And yeah. and there's polygonal cymatic blocks there. Yet you also have mud brick. So again, we don't even know how old. And that was supposed to be um, the whole name of that place. It was sacred even to the Aztecs. It was place of the gods to become a god something to the gods anyway that it's it's super interesting but this I I probably didn't leave us enough time I'm so sorry about the frequency and wave because oh, no,
0: that's fine that's fascinating
1: okay cool because we could get way more into like I mean we could break down each aspect of whether it's communication weapons healing uh, growing things connectivity through soil and fungus and bacteria. I've barely scratched the surface of genetic. When I say genetic technology, I don't just mean the ability to consciously decide I'm going to wake up and tell my genes to program myself to be younger, older, a different shape, a different size, a giant, a midget, a little person, whatever, or, or to be um, connected to this person somewhere else. Or, or I'm talking about the technologies to what you grow uh, again, how do you get something that lays eggs? Well, you program it. You put it out on a three D genetic printer. I am programming this creature to uh, do X, Y, Z, and it lays eggs. You know, it's it's very simple, but not for us. And we just look at it. and We think, well, this is natural and this is not technology. But starting with the soil alone, it's an uncomfortable conversation. But it looks like there's a lot of Natural things that are actually like out of control, safe, moted, uh, naturalistic biotechnologies. So when we're out walking in the nature, we you know, I don't I don't think it ruins it for everyone to walk around and think, oh, I'm in a giant ancient uh, smart planet phone. You know, that goes to other smart planet phones. <laughs> that, that's an idea. Could be. That
0: <laughs> is fascinating. And like you said, every time we just barely scratch the surface on some of this stuff because there's so much information that comes yeah. out of it. And I want to thank you again. Um, before you head out, I know you were ta- telling me earlier about some exciting things that you have coming up uh, in the near future. I don't know if you're able to tell us a little bit about uh, any of those things yeah. you have coming up.
1: Well, I well I have my new member area at my site, which is always open. I'm offering free books you know, for six-month and one-year memberships. Uh, but there's exclusive content and interviews I do there. But part of that is, uh, working with my friends that are archeologists. Yeah. So I've, I'm looking at doing some soil science research on the East coast. I'm doing a preliminary visit in April. I will be, um, uh, looking at, uh, archeological work that was done 60 years ago. And I'm hoping to start again. It's, I, I have a great time. I love writing and communicating, connecting with everyone. And this is, uh, a life's work and I'm super excited about it but then there is the uh, same concept um, everyone in the past in archaeology has been looking at what to find in the soil uh, mummies, gold, jewelry stellas that explain who built this and what it was I'm starting with something not so sexy I'm starting with the engineered soil and also when you build a giant cymatic polygonal wall there is no way you just pre-compact some soil and say this giant billion-ton building is going to stay up because we put a foot foundation down or started at two foot and pre-compacted it. Something that I don't know of anyone else doing and I'm planning on is doing uh, planning core samples. It is intrusive. There's no going around it. We need to know. uh, There's all these arguments. It has never been proven out how to even cut and connect not even on four We can't even do it on four sides. These people were cutting complex stones that were like had 20, 30 sides and they were doing it over multiple meters or feet in every direction. So if we start with the meta structure, which is the science of whether it's a nano sized crystal to a larger construction, the very foundational material that helps us building in the ground, We don't know what that looks like. And I'm hoping to do some of that work in South America. And so, uh, you know, I know we're in the middle of a sci-fi novel right now. So all I can say is I won't discuss location uh, because there is still a number of, it is not conspiratorial to tell you that uh it may not be the 80s and the store spheres aren't getting totally yelled at anymore they think it's become an oddity a curiosity it's a mystery that's the way they write everything off it's a mystery it's an oddity it's oh it's a one off it's a first so for me um i am as i can make it available i will be putting up more information about it on my site as far as um uh what else is going on is uh of course I'm not going to not mention this really cool conference coming up in April. Um, I, I, of course we're not talking about that right now, but it'll be on a network everybody really loves that you're close to. And then, you know, this week, uh, I, I did get to interview Mohammed Ibrahim and we had this whole conversation about engineered soil. And, uh, he's like, Jared, I asked him if he had unlimited budget, I didn't care about engineered soil. I actually asked him, uh, because he's in Egypt, you know, he's any, and he does tours and um, speaks and reads ancient Egyptian. Mohammed Ibrahim is pretty incredible, but I asked him what he would do if he had unlimited budget and research to what he would find in Egypt. And he goes, I would go after what you just talked about engineered soil. I want to know what's under the great pyramid. Are you kidding that whole platform? But yeah, next week I'm interviewing Christopher Dunn on conflict radio. I'm doing, uh, uh, my own shows coming up, uh, But yeah, there, as far as past shows, you know, I was just on everything imaginable last week and, um, a show in Scotland, but as far as, uh, Anything else is at notaliens.com. And of course, you know, I have a little presence on YouTube, but not really. My main page is all about getting people to your show. So anybody is welcome to come to my main page. You can get a signed copy of my book from me. I actually sign them for you and actually go to the mailbox and send them out. So yes, there's issues with international listeners. Costs a little more, so email me first. But I mainly will have our show posted. I'll have a link to get to your site. And that's pretty much it. That's everything I could say as far as what I'd screamingly love to talk about. After that conference in April, I will be able to. um, I will be doing those preliminary site visits, and I will actually be doing a lot of uh, uh, video and release work about one of my first archaeological endeavors, and that that that'll actually coincide with your uh, that conference coming up.
0: Yes, and as uh, yes, you mentioned it, we will uh, be making the official announcement for uh, Forbidden Knowledge NewsCon Con 2021. Uh, it's going to be April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. We're going to have 12 amazing presenters, including Jared Murphy. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, we have something look to look forward to. We'll be making an official announcement on that coming up uh, in the next couple of days with more information about tickets and how you can get set up with everything for that. So, Jared. Thank you so much again for coming on and enlightening everybody with this fascinating information. And, of course, we're going to schedule another one because there's uh, tons of shit we could talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate that. And everybody listening, of course, you know, have fun with it. Definitely. Go
0: dig. Yes, share and, uh, and uh, re-listen because there's so much information there.
1: And until next time, everyone else, have an excellent evening.